1972, a crack commando unit was sent to a liturgical prison by a canonical court for a crime they didn't commit. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security diocesan stockade to the ecclesial underground. Today, still wanted by the Vatican, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, then you should listen to Libra Cristo War College. Welcome to Wednesday's War College. Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, Dan Schneider. A lot to talk about today. I'm in Florida. Dan's in New Mexico. Kyle's in Wyoming. Thanks be to God and technology that we can all talk together. Uh, hey, uh, Kyle, Dan, welcome to the show. Uh, Dan, uh, Dan what, uh, you want to mention something before we get onto the, the topics? Yeah, the well, to the I, day, I think. Yeah, well, before that, I wanted to see, just to let Kyle plug what he's doing and what Libra Cristo is doing. I know we're getting ready to do uh, some week-long training, exorcist training coming up for mandated exorcists uh, with Father Ripperger, and specifically Father Ripperger and Kyle. Um, we've also got uh, mental health professionals uh, that, that are versed in the Thomistic, Thomistic psychology. Uh, that's, a, that's a big part of, of deliverance is understanding the human person from the way the tradition of St. Thomas and the tradition of the church understands us. This, quite frankly, this is how the demon understands us. This is one of the contributions of Kyle, specifically, and Father Ripperger, um, and that is understanding what, what, what Kyle refers to as psychological compatibility with the demon. The book, you know, the book that that uh, that I've written is coming out um, in in June. We go heavy into that. I lean heavily on on Clementine philosophy and theology as well. So, and then and then Kyle and I are going to do a week long training for priests for exorcists at the pair of parish priests that are starting to get into deliverance and minor exorcism as well as their teams. Kyle, what do you got? I know you're in uh, South Kakalaki, as they say. What are you doing over there? <laughs> Oh, yeah, Dan, I'm over here at St. Joseph Parish in Anderson, South Carolina, doing a parish mission. And the theme of the parish mission is, as it was above, so it is below. And that is that understanding that making the kingdom present uh, here on earth as it is in heaven. It's all spiritual warfare. And you're exactly right. We've got a lot coming up here in the next month. Dan and I, are, I'll have the privilege of being with Dan over several weeks. We've got the exorcist training, and I think one of the really uh, an area we're going to focus on a lot this next year is what we call the general practitioner training. And so Dan and I are going to be presenting to parish priests or priests who are wanting to know more about how to do deliverance and liberation uh, within the Catholic norms, uh, according to Catholic tradition. And he's precisely right to identify that one of the primary departures from Catholicism is uh, modern psychology. Leo XIII wrote very succinctly in uh, the, the encyclical Eternus Patris that all Catholic psychology should conform to Thomistic norms and that he was the definitive voice on psychology and philosophy in the Catholic Church, already having been named doctor of the same. And so we see Many of the institutes that train exorcists, including the one in the United States, has now departed this for secular psychology, and they're um, they're just not going to have the long-term success and sustained liberations without an understanding of Thomistic psychology, sin, its effect on the flow of grace, impediments, attachments, all of these functional areas of spiritual warfare that are largely neglected in in modern thought. Uh, we're also doing three weeks of retreats 
with Father Ripperger in Wyoming. Um, and I'd like to particularly promote today the single man retreat. This is for young men who are either betrothed or considering uh, vocation or especially seminarians, um, which is a form of betrothal. And I'd like to get Dan's response on that. But that single man retreat, all of these are can be found. The information, along with a lot of video resources, are at www.monte, M-O-N-T-E, Christo, C-H-R-I-S-T-O dot net. And um, I'd like to uh, I'd like to get Dan's thought on we've talked about this before. And I just want you, you guys to hear because he says it well um, about the understanding of spousal union and betrothal for men in both marriage and religious life. And so the sem- seminarians actually living a fiance resist uh, existence. He's already betrothed. So, Dan, I'll hand it back to you. Yeah, no, I think this is absolutely critical to understand because as Kyle and I have discovered in many cases, case in and case out, there's always a distortion of the generative principle. There, There's, I would say, 90, I don't know, Kyle, I would get, get your estimation, but in my experience, you're looking at 90 to, to almost 95%, if not every single one. There is a distortion of, uh, so there's some sort of sexual deviancy involved, whether it's abuse, whether it's uh, uh, same-sex attraction, everything in between. Um, there's some sort of sexual deviancy. Why? Because the demon knows that that made in the image and likeness of God, we, he created us into a, in, for a nuptial relationship with him. And so when our priests begin to see themselves completely as in a functional way, I function, I'm a functionary and I do liturgical function, lay people, they can participate and through active involvement, et cetera. We're losing this ancient concept of the sacrificial nature of the nuptial, the bridal relationship between Christ and his church. So, so the priest stands in persona Christe, and this is a nuptial positionality towards the church. The church stands in a receptive, receptive posture. I have the good, the good blessing, the good fortune of going in every Thursday and teach Carmelite sisters. And when I, when this is like going into the special ops and training special ops uh, on the finer, finer things. And these women absolutely get it. They don't, they're not well-versed and they they don't have, they haven't been, let me say, contaminated by some modern theology and philosophies. These women are living an an embodied nuptial relationship with Christ. They have one foot in heaven and one foot here on earth and they're living an angelic existence. And, and so they, they are embodying the church universal, this receptive nuptial relationship to Christ. And so our priests and our young men need to see this. Men, we need to see what this means, what St. Paul says. We have to die for her. We get a lot of grief about, you know, wives obey your husbands, right? We always ignore the second half of that sentence. Husbands loved your wives as Christ loved for the church, offering himself up for his bride, for her purification. Men have lost that. We've lost that mentality of a sacrificial, what it means to suffer, to sacrifice. Uh, and so this is something that we need to resurrect as part of our, our ecclesiology, as part of our sacramentology, our understanding of the way we relate to Christ and to one another, particularly within our vocations. Dan, I got a question for you. Somebody was asking, how do you walk a person to vocal prayer and then to and through mental prayer? C- can you kind of explain this? In a couple of yeah, minutes, I'll, I'll kind of, I'll, 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 I'm going to do the the uh, what do the setters do in volleyball, and I'm going to set it up for Kyle because Kyle's been doing uh, um, tons of, of of podcasts and 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 work with this uh, online teaching from Lahodi's the ways of mental prayer um, and also spiritual combat. So so basically, we tend to fall into a trap 
which even Father Gabriel Lamorth um, says it, that many exorcists and those working in deliverance in the Catholic world fall into a superstition. Like we have to fall, we have to find this magic magic prayer. If, if I can just come up with a secret play to win the game. Um, and that's not the case. It's going to be union through God to God through prayer and the sacraments, of course. But we have we talk about the human psychology of St. Thomas. You have to learn to pray to shore up the interiority. Uh, uh, most men know the phrase custody, the eyes, a very simple discipline to help you fall into the sin of impurity, right? Which St. Alfonso Liguori calls hell's widest gate. How do we do that? Custody of the eyes. But equally important is custody of the imagination. What leads into the mind, the pre-intellection, St. Thomas calls this, the antecedent uh, intellective movements, which we would just call in layman terms, the imagination. How do we have custody of that and control that? It's not going to be just through grit work. It's going to come through mental prayer, starting with vocal prayer. As we work people through the manual, the new manual is coming out in June. We begin to teach vocal prayer. Yeah, you've got to do certain basic prayers, auxiliary Christian orm prayers, binding prayers. All these things are great for us to do. But a real weapon, the true weapon is, is praying, learning how to pray mental prayer, how to use the imagination, the intellect. You're pushing away all the negative memories and, and, the, and the subjective traumas you may have experienced, and you're washing them through the words and deeds of Jesus Christ, walking hand in hand with the Blessed Mother, and she's helping you to reform your imagination, reform your emotions through prayer. And let's not forget, Jesse, something you and I have talked about quite often. When the Blessed Mother gave the rosary, which is a, which is a form of meditative prayer, when she gives the rosary to St. Dominic, she didn't say, now, my son Dominic, when you, I'm giving you this special lace necklace that goes or this sharp, you know, scarf that goes around my neck. I'm giving you roses to fly out of your mouth in prayer. She says, I am, do you know what I'm giving you? The type of weapon I'm giving you. The rosary, she said, is a battering ram, a battering ram. The angelic psalter, a battering ram. You enter into cosmic battle like a battering ram where you tear, as St. Paul says, tear down strongholds. And you're only going to do that beginning with custody of the imagination, which comes through simple vocal prayer, and then learning how to do mental prayer. Lexio Divina, spiritual reading of scripture, but also praying over the mysteries of the rosary. And, and Kyle goes into deep. You want a really good Bible or a book study, get with Kyle on his ways of mental prayer. It's absolutely, the feedback he's getting on that has been tremendous. I've been tracking this stuff and, and people are really starting to see, hey, this is our tradition. How many Catholics do we say they go to a, they have a, they go to a retreat, they, they go to an action retreat, they have a conversion, then what, what's the follow-up? They do centering prayer, Eastern forms of prayer, and not authentic Catholic prayer. So so Kyle is doing that, and we're trying to do that in Libra Cristo as well. Kyle, you got any comments on that? Oh, Dan, that was very, very well said. I appreciate the, the uh, endorsement and promotion. These book studies are yielding um, <clears throat> tremendous results, just to, to return to the fundamentals, and the fundamentals are so important. But when you talk about the prayer as a weapon, um, it does it does not um, it doesn't matter how accurate the weapon is. It doesn't matter how great the optics are. If the marksman cannot still his breathing, still his heart, concentrate and get pinpoint on what his target is, doesn't matter how accurate the weapon is. It still depends upon the internal disposition of the marksman. Yeah, yeah. If you remember, Jess, I'm not. Um, I don't know about the law enforcement, but the military, they would say, oh, "We'll go back." Uh, hold on. Hard break. We'll be right back.
Wednesday, War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, Dan Schneider. Just want to uh, remind people about the Spiritual Warfare Conference that's right around the corner. It's going to be held at St. Joseph's Catholic Church in Pomona, California. That's March 25th and 26th. We probably have a few seats left. We've got uh, Bishop Strickland that'll be there. He's an exorcist by office. We've got Father Chad Ripperger that'll be there. He's an exorcist by mandate. Then you have the two most uh, uh, knowledgeable lay people in the world on healing, liberation, and spiritual warfare. That's Dan Schneider and Kyle Clement. They'll be there. And then I'm going to be there, your holy host, the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady. It's good. We're going to have a time there. It's going to work. We're going to have a great time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so what we like to do, Jess, is we, we do military analogies oftentimes. We're talking about combat. Like Kyle, Kyle's always said, this is this is combat, not negotiation. You're not here to negotiate. Right. And to t- segue into what Kyle just said about the, the, the calmness of the shooter. Right. It's it's in the military. We had an acronym: breathe, relax, aim, squeeze. Right. Bras. That's how they made soldiers to remember it. Breathe, relax, aim, squeeze. You let you breathe. You pull in. You relax your body. You relax your mind. You you let a little bit of air out and then you squeeze the trigger. So the disposition of the shooter makes the weapon accurate. It's Kyle saying if you're emotional, if you're angry, if you're angry at the demon, if you're angry at the person you're praying for, if you're praying out of a position of shame, out of fear, uh, uh, all these things re- keep you from from pulling from having a clean trigger pull from relaxing. You know, your muzzle as you know, if you ever go out hunting with me, you'll see when I'm trying to zero in on a, on an animal, my muzzle is all over the place. I don't have good muzzle control. A good shooter, spiritual shooter has muzzle control. He keeps that muzzle locked and 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 he goes through the sequence, breathe, relax, aim, squeeze. Do you, so I think that's what Kyle is saying about the emotional subjectivity of the person of the petitioner or the prayer. Yeah, and and I would make it simpler for the audience. I'll just say that uh, your prayers are going to only going to be as effective as the, the state of your soul. If you're in a state of grace, there's going to be precision in your prayers. If you're if you're not in a state of grace, if you're in mortal sin, uh, your prayers, they're going to be scattered all over the place. They're not going to be effective. They're not going to be precise. Hey, let me ask a question here. Got a question from uh, somebody who listens to the show about guardian angels. So the question is, when someone is diabolically oppressed, possessed, what does that person's guardian angel do? Does the guardian angel try to resist the demon? Any one of you, Dan or Kyle? Yeah, the, so you're, he, you're, go ahead, let Kyle go. In, in short, and, and I want Dan to follow up, but in short, um, I answer questions as they're asked. What does your guardian angel do? Two, there are two parameters. Number one, what you ask. Number two, provided it's within the holy will of God. So he's not going to do anything unless he's called upon. He's going to stand there no matter how much he's compelled to or wants to uh, aid. You've got to call on him for that aid. And then what you're asking him to do in, in his action is going to have to be uh, parametered or boundaried by uh, what is the holy will of God in this particular instance. You can't command your angel to act outside the holy will of God. Awesome. Dan? Yeah, no, the, 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 angel's going to, the angel's mission specific, and you're, he's created for you. You're his mission. 
He works everything completely and totally in conformity with the will of God. So the angel, the angel accompanies you. But at the same time, if after the show, you know, we decide, hey, man, I need some, uh, I, 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 you and I, are, we, we, you and I do a conference. We all do a conference together. And then afterwards, like, man, I've been craving some buffalo wings. And and there's a place up the street, you know, and and, and it's called and it's called uh, uh, Hooters. And man, they got the best buffalo wings and fries in town. Let's just go over there. We need a little guy time. Your guardian angel is going to stand down. He's not going to go into a place that's unholy. He's not going to go into the strip club with you. He's going to militate for you. He's going to constantly pique your Catholic conscience to, to, towards the good, the true, the beautiful. But he's not, he's not going to participate in anything unholy. He's, not, you know, he's, he, he's, not, he's going to do exactly what God asked him to do and, and, and nothing more, nothing less. Got it. Here's another question from somebody in the audience. And they, they said about, uh, they asked about a question about a priest uh, who's an exorcist. Uh, and it's uh, the question was in one of the videos, he was telling a story and the end result is that his guardian angel was at a location uh, that this priest was at, that the priest was not at, excuse me. Uh, so the priest said that he wasn't there, but people saw him. So this priest said that God explained to him that his guardian angel looks like him. And that was who was at the other location. So the person asked, uh, I thought Father Ripperger uh, said that angels were their own species. I never heard Father Ripperger say that people's guardian angels look like their people. Uh, so my question is, how can this be if angels are their own species? Yeah, Tanner, the, yeah. The fact that they're their own species, that, this 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 does not allow this does not stop them from taking. Uh, some visible form. We see this in Holy Scripture. We see angels taking visible form, sometimes visible, sometimes invisible, but nonetheless present, like to Balaam's ass. So, so that an angel or a demon, always and only with the permission of God, uh, can take on a human form. But a demon can too. That's the the caveat. A demon can too, um, reconstructing matter to appear in a certain way to 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 lead you away. So, so you have to be very, very, very careful. And in the instance of this uh, happening is very, is extremely rare, um, extremely, extremely rare. Normally, when you see these types of visions, uh, nine times out of 10, at least in my experience, it's, it's usually diabolic. Let's not, re not forget that uh, Padre Peel himself had um, the demon appeared to him as Jesus, as, as his guardian angel, as his confessor as his religious superior in different times of his life to try to tempt him. So, so, but yeah, but the, the angel can, uh, uh, can present himself in various forms with the permission of God. Kyle, any comments? It certainly squares with our experience, um, both in and out of solemn session, but it certainly squares with our experience. Got it. Kyle, tell us a little bit about uh, Monte Cristo. For people that are just tuning in right now, how can people uh, track you and uh, follow you as, as to some of the apostolic works that you're involved in right now? Uh, thank you, Jesse. Go to www.montecristo.net, and uh, you can click on media. You can click on events. There's all kinds of, of resources there. It also tells you about some of our trainings, and, and Dan and, and I are going to be doing some GP training with general practitioner priests. Um, I really want to kind of focus on, on promote that because people can sponsor a lot of those priests, either their diocese or in Chapter 11, they're in bankruptcy proceedings, they're in, in situations where they can't finance 
sending these GP priests to the trainings. Um, we've got some third world priests. We've got some priests coming from Africa for some of these trainings. And so if, if you had an inclination to sponsor either an exorcist or a general practitioner uh, priest in training, that would be much appreciated. And um, then there is the single man's retreat up in uh, Wyoming for seminarians, young men considering marriage or discerning vocation. So that between the ages of 18 and 30, there's a very limited number of, <clears throat> of spaces. And so you'd spend a week with uh, Father Ripperger up there at uh, Lewis Lake Lodge, a beautiful spot in the mountains of Wyoming. And so those are the two things I really want to focus on. But go to that website, www.montemontechristo.net. And uh, then, of course, all looking forward to the conference, upcoming conference, Father Ripperger, uh, Dan, Jesse, Bishop Strickland, myself, we will all be together um, for Virgin Most Powerful Radio out there in California. And that's probably the highlight of our spring. Awesome. Yeah, one thing, Jess, before you move on, on the last question, um, and I'd like to get Kyle's take on this, um, that the, the demon, um, you know, when the priest will say, for example, in the ses in session, dicas mihi nomen tuum, Tell me your name. It's part of the part of the questions or commands that the priest uh, and, and the ritual uh, has. Tell me your name. Oftentimes the demon will will they often say first time I was with Kyle in our initial training. Of course, we get legion. Right. That's very common. But but oftentimes the demon will give you uh, some bodily manifestation, whether it's hoofed fingers, hoofed feet, uh, something that will indicate who he is non-verbally and so we see and sometimes you're dealing with a case and, and Kyle and I have done countless and countless intakes dealing with those afflicted the the possess the person begins to take the form of the possessor and so the possessor when he manifests now begins to take begins to bodily remember when formally speaking when a person is possessed that the, it's the body that's possessed, formally speaking, and so that the the, the bodily. And again, I'm I'm now moving into speculation, but I'm but I'm with a couple of friends, and I'd like to get your feedback. But the body manifests, right? Anima forma corporis. The the soul forms the body, and the body is now manifesting this demonic presence. Back to the original question, um, the consistency in, in, in the authentic cases where the guardian angel takes the form of the of the of his of his human that he's here to protect and guard. If, if someone is being possessed by a specific demon, he'll begin to take on those attributes. I mean, multiple times we've seen, you know, the minute the priest begins prayers, the person falls into, in, into the ground, into a, a, a serpent like movements, like a snake on the ground. There's something in his body that's manifesting. The demon is telling you who he is. It's something in the body. So it would be consistent with the, 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 the limited experience of, of the rare experience, I should say, of guardian angels taking the form of the individuals. You see what I'm trying to go at with that, Kyle? Yeah, you're you're exactly right. And and long-term chronic possession, um, and it, it, there's a chronic manifestation where the person actually starts to over time look like the demon that's the primary demon that's possessing. Right. And a classic example is the demon Beelzebub. Uh, this is part of the shape shifting and part of the morphing as the preternatural sign of physical attribute beyond their capability is so their facial features actually begin to change. Um, in, in the case of Beelzebub, the face tends to be pear-shaped. The lower jaw tends to extend and broaden. 
the mouth tends to become smaller, the eyes become closer together, and the head becomes narrower at the top, more of a pear shape. Um, and oftentimes this is accompanied by a, a redder complexion, a deeper complexion. And so you get flashes of these things, and, and this gives you an idea. Lilith is broader at the forehead, narrow and tapered at the chin. Um, again, small pout type lips, sharp nose. And so these angular features uh, come upon these their, the person's countenance. Um, it was always amazing to me Jim Carrey's ability to affect faces that are borderline um, preternatural, the ability to to make a face that doesn't appear to be possible. Uh, but when you actually see it, it goes even beyond Jim Carrey's ability to make face. Wow. Oh, that, that makes sense. Got you covered. Yeah, hey, we, were, we were at, we were at we're a conference. Going, go ahead. We're go going ahead. to a hard break. All right. Yeah, you're, 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 yeah, you're listening to Wednesday. Example. Okay. You're listening right. to Wednesday War College. Uh, the, the three amigos here, Jess, Kyle, and Dan, we're talking all things spiritual warfare. Also, on the next topic, we're going to take a look at a movie called, a Protestant movie called Deliverance. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, Carl Clement, Dan Schneider, talking about all things spiritual warfare. We are blessed by the best, and we want to tell the rest. Dan, you're going to make a comment before we went on to a hard break. Yeah, yeah. We just very briefly, we Kyle and I were at a conference. The first time I'd ever really seen this, I was still the I was still the rookie, you know. And I, I really still am a rookie, but but at this time, man, I was I was I was a butter bar green second lieutenant. Given Ken and I were speaking at a conference together, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm giving a talk and I'm using at the time using my using the PowerPoints. I had my notes on a laptop and my laptop starts turning green. It just freezes up. And I look up and I see a young woman sitting over here and my laptop's going freeze. It's freezing. So I start praying the St. Michael prayer quietly as I'm trying to work my way through this. I look back up at the young woman and suddenly her face, she looked like a chipmunk. I look back down. I just, I just keep praying. I ignore it. And I go away and the thing comes back on and thanks be to God, say Michael's intercession. Then afterwards, the woman walks over to, to me and Kyle kind of over the break area and starts asking questions. I, and I thought I was seeing things and she, we kind of talk and chat for a minute and she walks away and, and Kyle says, did you see the chipmunk? And I, I said, yeah, I, I, I had no idea that, but her whole face turned into a chipmunk and went, you know, it, it would morph in and out during the, during the whole, that whole afternoon of talks that we were giving. It was very interesting. So I don't know where the chipmunk demon is, but there was manner, some sort of manifestation there that that was uh, that was kick, giving some kickback to me and Kyle. That was the first time I'd ever really seen shape-shifting, uh, um, especially outside of session. Wow. Hey, uh, this, by the way, this past Monday, <clears throat> the Protestants came out with a movie, and this is going to give us a lot of, a lot of uh, food for, for thought here, a lot of uh, the ability to, to catechize the Catholic audience as to the, the errors in Protestantism in a Protestant deliverance ministry. The movie's called Come Out in Jesus' Name. It's a Protestant pastor by the name of Greg Locke. Here's a, a two-minute video of that movie that just came out, and there's one error after another that we want to talk about. Uh, Mr. Engineer, can you play the clip? In the New Testament, is it verifiable that Christians can be attacked and oppressed by demons? 
God used controversy. Look, I'm on the list. He used CNN. He used the media. He used all of it to grow a massive size platform. Controversy built our platform. Two genders. It was never about the controversy. It was never about the politics. I thought it was. I thought it was about Trump. I thought it was about COVID. But God built our platform for deliverance. We are headed more into seeing prophecy fulfilled before our very eyes. There's a kingdom of righteousness and there's a kingdom of darkness. Something in our being craves something supernatural. If you're addicted to something, you have company. And he said in the last days, the church will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. They will begin to listen to demonic doctrines. He doesn't mind you going to church. He doesn't mind you praising as long as you don't change. There's a great awakening that is coming. The kingdom of God is not about talk. Jesus is king. It's about power and demonstration. The state of the church in the United States, I believe, needs a reawakening of deliverance because of the evil that's going around. Christians can be under the influence of satanic oppression. 100% they can. You see, redemption and salvation is for the lost. Deliverance is to set the captives free. The Word of God says, these signs shall follow them that believe. Kind of the enemy is to keep the church quiet. Deliverance is for the people of God. Deliverance is for the church. I'm here to call this culture to Jesus Christ and cast out demons. Because these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. That was a preview of a movie that just came out this week. It's called uh, it's called Come Out in Jesus' Name. It profiles a Protestant pastor by the name of Greg Locke uh, and uh, his deliverance ministry. Now, obviously, there are some things that they're going to Protestants are going to get right because whatever they do get right, they've borrowed it from the Catholic Church or they've taken it from the Catholic Church or it's Catholic plagiarism. But some of the things. And by the way, this looks like some of the events I've seen in Catholic charismatic circles. So I'm not just picking on the Protestants here. I've seen this exact type of emotional, high-charged euphoria in Catholic charismatic circles as well. So let's talk about some of the things that you would alert the audience and say, okay, this is something that does not comport to Catholic norms. Dan, you want to go first? Or Kyle, any one of you? Uh, yeah, no, I, I thought it was, I, I caught, what caught my eye a very quick instant was the, uh, the guy getting the jab was wearing a Freemason, camouflage Freemason ad. I thought that was quite interesting. Ah, um, interesting. Yeah. The, the, uh, um, you know, as Kyle and I have discussed this many times, the demon's going to respond, you know, if, 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 uh, you know, you're a law enforcement guy, if you and I were sitting around in a barbecue and we're just kind of kicking back with our families and a couple guys walk in. And, and they give you this or they or they or they're carrying a sidearm, they're in uniform. We're going to respond to that, whether they have jurisdiction or not. We're going to respond to that because of our right. because of our our um, our dispositions, our understanding of, of, of law and order. So we're going to respond to that, whether they have jurisdiction or not. 
So the, the three main points on deliverance, and again, the demon's gonna the demon's gonna respond to the name of Jesus, the demon's gonna respond to the prayers. Uh, we've seen we see all those manifestations that we saw, we see these all the time. And a manifestation is not a liberation. You can rock a demon's world um, and still not have liberations. You can, there's a lot of people that get addicted, and I've seen this. I've seen this. Yeah. I've experienced this. You get addicted to the power, and the demon will draw you into the power. I'm not knocking what this guy's doing, but the demon can draw and lure you in, and you become bloodthirsty, bloodthirsty for the kill. And so you got to be very careful that we've all anyone that's been any experience at all working with this ministry has been drawn into that through curiosity and a demon will use like a judo fighter. You and I are strikers, right? We're punchers. Yeah. You're a kickboxer. Yeah. I'm a boxer. So what the demon will do, he'll take a couple of our shots. He'll eat our punches yeah. to get to get his hands on us and get us under the ground. And even even the defensive posture of a judo, a, 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 a judoku, right, or, or a, a yeah. jiu-jitsu fighter on his back would, would be seemingly a very dangerous, vulnerable position, the demon will get onto his back and allow you in to get you outside of authority. Remember the three rules of engagement that are very, very clearly delineated by Father Ripperger, Kyle, Lieber Cristo, uh, the three rules of engagement. The demon's going to yield or not yield. He will respond, but yield or not yield, he's going to do for three things. Number one, does this person have requisite authority over the person to place or the object? Number two, what is the merit? How holy is the person? What is the merit of the petitioner on uh, number three, what are they asking? So the short clip of the video showed, yeah, you've got all, all these things being thrown up into the air. It's just, it's just this emotional soup. But at the end of the day, after the bullets are fired, if you're not careful, you've exposed yourself. If you get outside of authority, the demon will gladly take a beating from you to get you outside of the authority structure, which provides protection for you. Remember the authority structure gives you is geared to God to put it in place through natural law to provide and to protect. And the demon can get you out of that authority structure. He can now, he can now thwart your defenses and get inside your wire. Kyle comments after watching that video. Precisely right. My video experience was interesting because I, this connection that I have does not support the uh, video portion, only the audio portion so what came across to me was was an absent of video, but <clears throat> I noticed the the uh, prevalence of Southern accent among the practitioners <laughs> of deliverance. And, and for the record, <laughs> Kyle, make sure you tell the listeners there's a difference between a Southern accent and a Texas accent because the guys from Ohio think it's the same thing. <laughs> well, the, yeah, the guy was from Ohio. That's a whole different deal. So, uh, <laughs> how many stories start in Ohio, man? Yes, in Ohio, man. I'm sorry to interrupt, Kyle. So, Southern accents, emotionality. Correct. And then the the other thing that I want to 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 comment on though is that we see it over and over and over again. Is the demon is um, is essentially Don King in the spiritual world? He's a fight promoter. And so the best way to take out an effective priest is to, to give him some pride, give him some a string of victories, then get him to start promoting himself publicly. Once the priest starts promoting himself publicly, his days are numbered. Once he starts sharing his experiences, once he starts making it about the phenomenon, this is uh, just like Don King would take a young fighter and he would set him up in a series of, of bouts that appeared that this guy was unstoppable, that he was unbeatable. Well, all he's building is the big ticket. He's building the pay-per-view. And then this, when this guy goes down, when this priest goes down and we lose five to six exorcists a year, 
But when the the notable ones go down, then the demon has set this up for um, a pretty significant blow to the church. We see that in priest. And just as Dan said, um, the demon yields to the name of Jesus, and then he's going to check the authority. Um, If the authority's not there, if uh, if this person is doing public exorcisms, if he's doing exorcisms over anybody that shows up, he's not checking his procedure, he's not checking his jurisdiction, he's um, loose with his authority, then this guy's going to get taken out. It's just like the old gunfighters in the West. Um, There are very few old gunfighters is the point (laughs) I'm trying to make. There are very few old exorcists. Yeah, what's interesting, Kyle, I'm I'm, I'm, uh, um, doing some some developmental editing for for a, a book coming out by Tan. Father Ripperger has written the introduction for on the, the it's a biography of Father Gabriel Amorth. And I just finished the this morning the section on his very first case. And 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 as you you trained us, Kyle, usually an exorcist's first case is when he's going to get probed. He's going to get tested. The demon's going to throw down everything at him and it's going to be specifically at him. So the very first case that Father Morth gets um, he gets a case of possession. It was a 25 year old young man, a farmer. And, um, and soon as he starts going into the ritual, the demon starts going after him and said, I, and said, basically, uh, you know, be quiet priest. And father Moore says, you be quiet. And then he says, the only reason that I don't, I, that, I, that, I, that, that you have any power over me is because the blessed mother won't let me touch you. And so, and then he knows he's covered by his mantle. He's a Mariologist. He's covered by her mantle. And then he starts going into prayer, into the ritual, and this this is the first and only time, the most seasoned, experienced exorcist in the modern time, he sees levitation. The very first. Wednesday War College, ABC Always Be Christ-Centered. We got Kyle Clement, Dan Schneider, Jess Romero. Dan, you were making some parting thoughts before we came to a hard break. Yeah, so so the very first case, that an exorcist often gets gets tested on his very first case. The demon's going to throw everything but the and the kitchen sink at him. So Father Morth goes into his first first exorcism case. His training was to memorize 21 rules in the Rain and Tundra. That was uh, uh, Candido Amantini. His, his, his mentor, his sensei. So he starts to pray the ritual, including the part where we're demanding the date of departure, part of the ritual. He says, at this point, something unexpected occurs. It was an event that would never happen again in the court on career as an exorcist. The possessed becomes like a piece of wood. His legs go forward, his head stretched back. He starts to levitate. He rises horizontally over a half meter above the back of the chair. For several minutes, he remains motionless, suspended in the air. Father Massimiliano takes a step back. I remain in place with the with the crucifix tightly in my right hand, the ritual in the other. I remember the stole. I take it and touch the body of the possessed with the end. He remains still motionless, silent. I strike another blow. And he continues right through the ritual. He doesn't do anything fancy. He goes right back to the ritual. He goes going through the ritual, which Kyle and I have heard countless times. And then he finishes with amen. And he said, he said at amen, there was a thud, right? Uh, uh, and he and he, the man collapsed into the chair, and he and the demon says to him, "I'll be out on 21 June at 3 p.m." And sure enough, two weeks later, on the 21st of June at 3 p.m., the man was liberated while he was out in his fields, in the fields. It wasn't even during a prayer session. Father deliberately didn't go to session that day, but he had a lot of questions, and and he asked Father uh, 
his, his mentor, Father Candido. He had all these questions. He said, uh, Father Candido said, you're asking too many questions. Don't commit the sin of pride. Do what you must do and don't ask questions. Do you, uh, that, realize that we are merely useless servants. And so his, his mentor really guided him because he saw this amazing thing um, uh, um, to see levitation. And then, and then the, the temptation to pride, look what I've done. Look what I can do. I'm this powerful exorcist. I drove a demon out my first case. And he said it never happened again. From that point on, most cases would take years to find deliverance. But the demon was probing and testing him at this time. It's very consistent with, with my experience and Kyle's experience, I'm sure, as well. You know what, Father Amantini, uh, he's, uh, he's in the process of canonization right now. He'll be the first exorcist that will be canonized. He's going through the process right now. But uh, my comments on that video that we just watched with the Protestant deliverance, uh, Greg Locke, the Protestant pastor in the movie, come out in Jesus' name. Uh, it's it's what I've seen also a, a lot in Catholic circles. You have the same people coming back every month, you know, to the healing mass or to uh, to these deliverance sessions, <clears throat> and they don't want to change. They're they're not they don't want to be. They have no discipline. Uh, they they have no virtue. You'll see that uh, they're not catechized, and it's the same people coming back. It, it, what ends up happening with a lot of these spiritual deliverance ministries in the Catholic and in the Protestant churches is they turn people into like spiritual heroin addicts. It's the same people coming back over and over again because they haven't been liberated because they're not being taught about how to live in a state of grace, how to, how to become holy, how to clean up their interior life. And so they just keep coming just like it's a car wash. Uh, comments, uh, Dan or Kyle? You're precisely right, Jesse, and, and I think that there's a need for that emotional consolation rather than spiritual consolation. We find, especially since the, we've started using the protocol and using it strictly, that we're just not seeing these people again, <clears throat> and in, even in the obs obsession cases, which we shouldn't. Um, they get their, their issue taken care of, and they have the virtue requisite for living a holy life or a life that keeps them free. Um, and, and they've, they've gone through this process. You should only have to go through it once. Um, the repetitive, the recidivism and having to go through it more than once, something's not being done correctly. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Here, here, go ahead. Here's another comment. St. Paul, <laughs> he did one deliverance. It's, it's funny. And it's a little bit different from what we saw in that little two minute video in first Corinthians chapter five. Uh, they tell St. Paul about a man who was sleeping with his father's wife. And, and, and St. Paul didn't say, oh, you need a deliverance. You know what St. Paul said? St. Paul, St. Paul, number one, he cast him out of the church. And then St. Paul said, quote, to deliver his body to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Yeah, St. Paul gave him a deliverance, excommunication. <laughs> For, for sleeping with his father's wife and, and you know, for being an objective mortal sin. Uh, and, 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 and again, he, he didn't, he didn't baby this guy. In other that words, sounds he, very non-pastoral Jess. <laughs> that sounds not very pastoral. Come on, come on. You're not nice. St. Paul, what are, he, not only is he misogynist, he, he's, he's just not a, he's not a nice guy. He, can we sit down we're, and talk yeah, about this together? Where, where's the accompaniment for these poor people involved in their irregular marriage? 
Yes, irregular it is, indeed. Now, what's interesting, Jess, is, is, is that was a joke between me and Kyle. We call it a regular marriage. In the old days, we called it fornication, right, Kyle? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so but if you look at 2 Corinthians, Paul says he welcomes, he welcomes someone driven from the community. He welcomes him back. And so there has to be an ecclesial element. And one of the, the geniuses built into uh, of the Libra Cristo protocol is that there is a there is an aftercare. Yeah, this you know this sheep has come to you. The parish priest has exhausted the pastoral response to this. They bring him to us. We work them through and do very difficult things, and we hurt them. Right? I mean, we we, we they have to pray certain prayers. They have they have to be more disciplined. Immediate fast. Uh, um, they they and then we help them to reintegrate back into the community, like this this sinner. Uh, that Paul uh, uh, rebukes and cast away from the community, he now welcomes back, arguably, yeah. it's the same one he's talking about in 2 Corinthians, I think, chapter right. 2, is that yeah. liberation, there is no, like, if you just go and just start knocking demons out of these conferences or whatever, setting up a, a tent, where do you, where, where, the biggest problem that most exorcists will talk about when you're sitting in a room with exorcists is aftercare. What do you do with these people this, you know, after they find liberation? By working with the parish priests in this model, this medical model, it's, it's the real genius of Kyle. Coming up with a medical model, the priest is your general practitioner. The, the exorcist is a specialist. He's the brain surgeon, the heart surgeon. We're just nurse, nurse, nurse ratchet. We're just nurses that are just working the cases up and getting them ready for surgery. We're doing, we're exhausting all the natural, you know, the natural remedies before we get into the, the, the heavy surgery. Most people show up and say, Father, I have this demon and that demon and this curse. This is the prayer I want you to pray for me. You know, I mean, it doesn't work that way. You don't go and tell your, your brain surgeon that. You just say, I got a headache. And your brain surgeon says, go see the nurse and she's going to work on this with you. And then you work your way through. So with our model, there's a place for aftercare, which is absolutely essential. Absolutely essential. They, they go back into the flock. They're back. They're reintegrated ecclesially into their parish with their parish priest. Yeah, there's a very, very good point. Very, very good point. The general practitioner scenario. And uh, again, if you're moved to support um, the training of a general practitioner, that would be much appreciated. The the specialist in a a region, if you've got a heart surgeon, a, a very good reputation, very good heart surgeon, when he moves into a region, he should work himself out of a job. Um, or at least lessen his caseload. And the way he does that is providing training and education to the general practitioners in that same region so that they identify heart defects, heart problems, heart diseases early on, and they can be corrected, or even the preventative medicine. And that's ultimately what we're looking for here is the exorcist should be working himself out of a job. Um, And all of this should be being done at an early level, at an early interdiction level, and a lot of preventative medicine. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's an old book that you guys probably have heard of. It's 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 called Evidence of Satan in the Modern World by by Monsignor Leon Cristiani. He was a French exorcist. He says what you guys are saying a hundred years ago. He said this quote: One of the most urgent tasks of the exorcist is not only to cure the possessed person, but also to lead him towards sanctity. Yeah, and we see this as yeah. you walk with these cases, you know, by the end, after after battling month after month and sometimes year after year, by the end, you might be in a room with a person who's being prayed over by the priest, but they're probably the holiest person in the room. They've they have just 
grown and been purified through this crucible of suffering. And so all the other models that I've seen out there, and, and you and I, Jess, have, and Kyle too, we've, we've, we've all right. come to learn that Libra Cristo and what Father Ripker is putting forth is, is the safest and the most secure way because it's based upon sound tradition and teachings of the church. But the other models, there's, there's no place to put people. They, we give them presumption. We just start praying over people right away. And there's no place for virtue. There's no place for suffering. Very little mention of the sacraments, very little mention of the Blessed Mother. These things are, should be essential to Catholic liberation because these are essential to Catholic, uh, uh, you know, Catholic spirituality and Catholic faith. Okay. Uh, Kyle, uh, 30 seconds. Uh, it's almost, we're, all, we're almost done at the end of the show here. Give us a, a little action item or just uh, some food for thought. 30 seconds and Dan, and then we'll wrap it up. Go ahead, Kyle. All right. Thank, thank you very much. You guys go to www.montecristo.net. Exhaust those video resources. Exhaust all those resources out there. Learn more about this, and, and your support is greatly appreciated so that we can train exorcists, train priests, um, the general practitioners, the front line. Um, again, your prayers. For, for Dan and I and for all of Monte Cristo, Liber Cristo, all of the effort of bringing this information um, out and, and getting it in the hands of the front line. So um, get holy or die trying. Amen. Dan, any comments you want to make before we wrap it up? Yeah, we're coming. We're getting ready to come on a great, a great season of, of uh, a liturgical season of Lent. Commit to prayer. As great as the podcasts are, Father Ripperker videos, etc. First and foremost, commit yourself to prayer. Uh, uh, and start learning the ways of mental prayer. Start to learn how to pray like a Roman Catholic, how to pray with your body through, through the offering of suffering. Today's feast day, blessed Claude uh, Colum or Saint Claude Colombier, learning to, to, to conform yourselves to the will of God through offering up every small little things. Again, do as I say and not as I do, because this is a very difficult path to, to surrender and conform yourself completely to the will of God. But it only comes through mental prayer. Pray, pray, pray. Amen. That's a wrap. Wednesday War College, Jess Romero, uh, Kyle Clement, Dan Schneider. Uh, stay tuned. Up next, we got Gary Machuda, Hands On Apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for us, we are out. We, we, we look at ourselves like a lighthouse, a resource. We are a lighthouse amidst the gathering storm. And remember that sunlight, the truth is the best disinfectant. And let's continue to pray America great again. Pray America great again. Uh, we're just going to continue putting the spotlight of truth upon this culture of death. And let's keep firing missiles of truth against the wall of lies. God bless you. Keep the faith. See you next time. Bye.